describe myself and think of myself as a, a man of faith. Because there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos. It will be a home run. And a warm welcome back to everybody tuned in to, what is this thing called again? The Hit by Pod. Hit by Episode pod. one, season two, Larry Larson, Lucas Hoig. Hoig. Wow, that was that was tough. It has been a while. Lucas, it's been so long. I forgot what the name of the podcast was, and I forgot how to pronounce your name. How have you been? I've been good, man. Wrapping up the semester here. Baseball's back. It felt like it was dragging on until we got some good action. And if you're a Sox fan, we still haven't seen what we're hoping for. But, you know, all things considered, it's been good. Happy to see the weather in Chicago starting to turn around. We got a rainy game tonight scheduled against the Cubs, though. But, yeah, can't really complain. Baseball's back. Baseball is back, and I think the last time we had one of these episodes, we didn't think baseball would be back. It was certainly uncertain, I would say. Yeah, no, I think we talked probably just after the postseason wrapped up last year, and yeah, right into the lockout we went. Um, If you keep up with the Chicago Sports Podcast, you know we mentioned it up there a little bit, but yeah, we're back. A lot of things have happened. At the same time, a lot of things aren't happening, too. Offense has been down historically low so far. Um, We didn't see the no-hitter run that the pitchers were off to to start last year at the same time either. So, I don't know. What's your kind of thoughts? What's your general ideas of how the season started so far? My idea, it's kind of been slow. I mean, first, I'll preface it with that I haven't really watched much Major League Baseball outside of the Marlins. I've kind of listened to the Marlins more than any other team. Uh, But outside of that, it's been a whole lot of minor league baseball for me. But with the season as a whole, I think the balls are definitely kind of dead compared to last year. They're de-juiced, which is kind of surprising considering that people want offense. Major League Baseball is all about or claims to be all about let the kids play. You know, we want this, we want action. But then they deaden up the baseballs. Doesn't make much sense to me. Um, and one thing, one headline with the baseballs that kind of jumped out to me was, I forgot which pitcher, uh, was talking about it, how major league baseball doesn't listen to them about making new baseballs with better grip and, you know, baseball's coming tacked and stuff like that. I think that's something that major league baseball needs to look at. And one thing they've insisted upon for years and years and years is having these baseballs handmade by people. And obviously that supports jobs and that supports a lot of people in Costa Rica where the baseballs are made. But outside of that, I don't think it really does much good. So that's something that kind of needs to change. Um, But as the overall season as a whole, uh, you know, I think both Cubs and White Sox have kind of underperformed. Maybe the Cubs are kind of on the nose, but the White Sox have definitely underperformed. And I think there have been some, some surprises uh, for sure. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, uh, that was a Chris Bassett uh, post-game talk you were, ta- you were referencing there. But, yeah, I think it's ridiculous to think about a big gripe that people came out similar style after the game or whatever to the media talking about how from game to game uh, the baseballs weren't consistent. And I think – I don't know if it was a report that was leaked or whatever, but I know the baseballs saying like the Field of Dreams game were completely different, kept in a completely different environment, um, and, you know, to support more offense um, than a different like regular season game, which I mean, it's like completely different styles. It's like you're playing one game 
with a 2019 long ball records breaking every single where you look baseball and then it's like the next game you're playing with uh like dead ball era like no offense type baseball and then now like we never heard people come out and talk about inconsistency between innings now all of a sudden in between like individual baseballs so I'm sure it's frustrating as a pitcher because they're one adapting to whether you know we like it or not pitching without help from a foreign substance um that obviously the league cracked down on last year and now and you know people like glass now already came out about that saying they have to switch up their grips they have to switch up you know how they hold the ball and it causes unwanted stress well now imagine you throw your you know one batter in going well strike them out feels good and then all of a sudden you have a ball with a lump in it or with a soft spot a slippery spot i mean whatever it's going to end up being if it just doesn't feel right um i'm sure you know maybe we'll see some things like that start popping up too but it's not a good look. It's just weird. It's it's not transparent at all. Like, you know, I don't know why the process um, somehow gets lost in translation somewhere where we have this sport that it should be consistent. The balls are different last year. We don't find out till after the season. Now we don't really hear anything, but the players are saying the balls are different and there's no communication on that front. So I think it just follows kind of a common trend in the MLB where it's like, you're just shooting yourself in the foot here. What are you trying to do? Yeah, it makes very little sense and another thing that kind of strikes me is there's all this talk on social media especially these days during the nba playoffs is the nba rigged is the nfl rigged you could argue that major league baseball is the most rigged league not necessarily for any one team but rather for offense and action or pitching and defense uh, just because the central element of the game the baseball is just completely malleable every single year it's kind of strange how that mm -hmm. works and I think that's something that kind of needs to be fixed yeah I think it was two or three off seasons ago it was like right when Pete Alonzo was coming into the league and being big and so it's kind of shocking to hear at the time but he came out and said that um, the league kind of controls how the off seasons pan out in a league where a lot of pitchers are set to hit free agency they uh, boost the baseballs to make those stats look worse and make pitchers look worse you know so get smaller contracts and keep the owners more money in the owner's pocket. And then if it's a big hitters, a free agency class, the balls are going to start to get deadened. And I remember thinking, you know, what is this guy thinking? Like that'd be rigging games. Like that'd be changing. You know, that's, that's not right. Somehow it's not right. Um, but like, we're seeing it. You're absolutely right. Like something just doesn't feel right about the fact that nowhere else do you see a decision that like clearly changes stats, clearly changes games. And like, the performance of how, you know, the baseball reacts to the bat one way or the other. Like it's, it's very interesting and you don't see it, anything comparable really across the other major sports that yeah, I know of. Definitely. It's, it's kind of strange enough talking balls, uh, if you will. Um, how about just overall, whether it's a team or a player, has there been a surprise to you that has maybe loomed the largest in your mind across baseball? Yeah, I think, um, I would say how like the New York sports or the New York teams are playing. I'd say arguably two best teams in the MLB right now. Yankees offense has been showing up after a slow first week, but um, they made kind of, kind of some interesting moves, getting rid of players that had been sort of staples for them. Geo had locked up the hot corner for them for the past couple of years. Um, bringing in Donaldson, obviously a big offensive upgrade, but there were some questions about how he'd fit. Uh, and then moving on from Gary Sanchez as well, you're obviously losing a bat there. And I think, uh, Yankees fans didn't like 
um, knowing that they'd have a defensive catcher one way or the other kind of behind home plate every day, but it's worked out. I mean, their pitchers done, their pitching staff as a whole has been really well. Um, their offense has been there. Rizzo has been off to a great start, one of the best hitters in the league so far. Um, and then for the Mets, um, all offseason, it's like once a week. And for the beginning part of it, three times a week, you'd see they had another player coming in, another all-star and another big contract. So, um, you know, that was something I was kind of looking out for to see in the beginning stages if it was going to be worth it, if you're going to see early success, if there's any troubles. And, you know, just with the the scope of the media and New York sports as a whole, like if they spend all that money and rules are being made to um, benefit or to, I guess, punish Cohen for spending his money, um, is it going to work out? Is it going to be worth it? And so far, it's been great for them. So it's always interesting to see. But, you know, that's one thing I've noticed. Yeah, the New York teams have definitely stood out um, for better or for worse. Obviously, I don't think either of us pulls for the Yankees, but right. And the Mets are a case in themselves. And one thing to keep in mind with the Mets is this is without their best pitcher and one of the best pitchers in the last 10 or 15 years in baseball, Jacob DeGrom. Once he comes back and if he's completely healthy and sharp, I mean, that's an automatic win once every five days. And that boosts their record even more. So that'll be interesting to watch. Um, I think for me, one of the biggest surprises going with a homer pick here is how well Miami has played. Uh, two games above 500, and they are above 500. When they cracked 500, they started a little under. But when they cracked 500, that was the first time for Miami over 500 in the regular season since 2017. Wow. Um, I think the acquisition of Jorge Soler was a huge difference maker in the offseason. And I also think Jazz Chisholm is one of the most exciting young players in baseball. I feel like the Marlins kind of have a White Sox situation where um, people aren't exactly loving their manager right now mm-hmm. with the fish. Uh, Don Mattingly has been making some interesting lineup decisions, uh, not batting Chisholm leadoff, giving Chisholm some days off when – it's obvious he should be in the lineup every day. So that's kind of interesting to see that that's just not a White Sox thing. It kind of happens yeah. elsewhere. So, yeah, no, I mean, they do have a really good young pitching staff too. got it, made a few moves over the offseason too. obviously El Garcia, another big bat in the outfield. And like you said, so he's been heating up this past week too. It's interesting. You say that about the the lineup though, and kind of not giving the, the time to the stars. Cause you think about, Derek Jeter leaving the organization just before the season started and kind of noting that they weren't really on the same uh, same page as the rest of the front office as far as like the route that the team's going, some kind of questioning if they don't really want to compete. But um, they did spend money this offseason. They did um, make some moves. And it is nice to see, like I said, a young pitching staff like they got um, starting to win games and having a team that can put some offense up behind them. Pablo Lopez has been the probably NL Cy Young up there with him and Carlos Rodon to this point. Um, and they've still got fireballs behind them. Edward Cabrera, uh, Alcantara, you know, they got, they got a lot of guys there. So it's nice to see, like I said, finally a good Marlins team. I mean, five years since they've even been above average. So geez. Yeah. Except that one year they, uh, they beat the Cubs in the playoffs. Um, yeah. which was kind of about that. In a span where they didn't go 500 during the regular season. That was, that was tough, man. That was really, Open. really tough. Um, but, yeah, you mentioned the, that young pitching staff. There's Max Meyer, who's still in AAA. Uh, people have been clamoring for him to come up. Um, and I think it'll happen one of these days, but there's that. Um, remember on Around the Loop, I think we did 
pennant picks, right? Who's going to win the NL and AL? I think I picked the Dodgers and maybe Boston or Toronto. And, and I think you picked Atlanta and who? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think maybe Toronto as well. Could have gone White Sox too. I mean, probably said White Sox if we're being honest. But I think, yeah, Atlanta was my NL pick. Um, How about the Braves? Kind of slow out of the gate here. Yeah, no, I thought um, maybe just kind of replacing Freeman with Olsen and then tossing in uh, Cunha would just kind of be like the foolproof uh, way to win another World Series. But um, that hasn't been the case so far, albeit Cunha just returned this week. So we're still waiting to see that team in full swing. Um, Albies has had a good start, but yeah, I don't know. Tough to tell. I can't really say that I'm too concerned about that pick right now because going on and even to the all-star break last year, Atlanta, nobody was expecting that. So, um, you know, maybe it's a, a stretch, maybe it's a reach so far, but like I said, Acuna's back this week, just wait till he goes on one of his MVP like runs. And um, I'm sure we'll see, I'm sure we'll see him back uh, top of the standings next to uh, the Mets there. Sticking with the picks. I like it. Um, <laughs> I'm in Midland, Michigan, because uh, Beloit is here playing the Great Lakes Loons and they're the high affiliate of the Dodgers. And today's game got rained out. We were there super early. It was a kids' day game. So, you know, one of those where you've got a couple thousand screaming kids there. Uh, Tarp never came off the field. We were just kind of sitting and shooting the breeze for a little bit. And somebody up in the broadcast booth is saying, like, oh, yeah, when the Dodgers make the playoffs this year, we should throw it up on the video board. We should have a watch party if they make the playoffs. And I'm, like, thinking to myself, are the Dodgers, like, really off to that bad a start? And I looked at the standings and they're 14 and seven and tied for first place. Like, is that, is that not good enough for Dodgers people these days? So spoiled. Yeah. They were (laughs) on like a huge run to start the year. I mean, come on. Bellinger's finally Bellinger again. Like what can you complain about? Yeah. It's uh, it's wild. And then on the other side of the spectrum, how about the reds? Just awful. Just awful. And you, you know what? I'm happy to see it after their owner came out and said, what else are Red fans going to do when asked about, you know, what, why aren't you spending money? What are Red fans supposed to do? And he basically came out and said, well, who else are they going to cheer for? I mean, definitely not a three and 19 team or whatever they've gotten off to so far. I mean, just awful. They, they're not spending the money. They're trading away their talent. And I mean, it's what it's, it's exactly what's expected. They could have made a playoff push similar to Atlanta's last year. I mean, they were right around hovering the same record around that 500 mark. Atlanta went out, got, rentals didn't give up too much went out and won a damn world series and now cincinnati's taking the complete opposite approach saving money i guess but they can't even sell tickets so yeah totally embarrassing and i can't even think of like one silver lining for them joey vado has been off to like the worst start of his career um at least he's on twitter now so there's that hunter green yeah yeah there we go that's true he's got who will uh card in mlb yeah, who will inevitably be a Los Angeles Dodger in what, like <laughs> six years? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, it's tough. That's tough sledding for the Reds, uh, a team I've always generally disliked, but you kind of mm. want to see Joey Votto succeed just because he's so good. And Yeah, there is still some talent there. I mean, Castillo, too. Um, they obviously dumped Winker and Suarez, so good for them to get out of it and get a fresh start while they can. But, yeah, Votto's a good guy. Everyone likes Votto. So I don't know if he'll end up getting maybe a trade deadline, something, or if he's just going to call it quits in the middle of the year, we'll see. Wouldn't blame him if that was the the route he took. No kidding. Anytime you're doing worse than the pirates, uh, that's kind of, kind of rock bottom. uh, I think in the NL central. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's like a, a red flag there. Although I will say, Bato, one of those guys now, we've had a few historical accolades kind of um, reached so far in this in this MLB season, too. I think of Miggy hitting 3,000 hits, um, huge accomplishment for one of the best hitters of our lifetime. Um, and that's something, you know, Bato, you think about it, a lot of like Reds fans and people who follow the game, I, I'm not necessarily one of these people right off the bat, but they just surefire Hall of Fame Joey Votto, like already kind of signed, sealed, delivered. And, you know, he, when you think about it, he's been one of the best hitters just up there. I wouldn't say Miguel Cabrera level because he didn't reach like the accolades. He didn't get the awards that Cabrera ever did. But as far as consistency goes, um, wouldn't be surprised if um, in the next few years you start seeing some of those big, big accolades with home runs and hits for Votto as well. Because sneaky, sneaky Hall of Fame type guy there. Oh, 100%. I, I think Joey Votto's a first ballot guy. I think Albert Pujols is a first ballot guy, assuming no other steroid stuff comes out about him. Mm -hmm. And obviously Miguel Cabrera is a first ballot Hall of Fame guy. Though Those three right there, in my opinion, are Mike Trout excluded, are the top three of our generation. I mean, Al Albert Pujols, the way he's continued to produce, even this year, um, filling a role for the Cardinals is really exciting for baseball fans to see. Joey Votto, always very good. And even the way he's adapted his game has been very impressive, going from more of a contact-focused guy to a power-hitting guy um, and less average. He's adapted there. And then Miguel Cabrera even. I mean, I think obviously a lot of people took the time to reflect on Cabrera's career with the 3,000-hit milestone last week or a few weeks ago. Um but, I mean, just how hard it is to get to 3,000 hits, just how mm -hmm. consistent you have to be and how long you have to play. And, sure, Cabrera has kind of been in the back of people's minds because he hasn't produced like he used to, but he's still in the lineup almost every day and still playing respectable baseball on a Detroit team that could be in the mix this year. Um, that, in and of itself, is impressive. Yeah, he definitely still has a role on that team, definitely still produces, uh, still a career 300 hitter too, so not something a lot of those 3,000 hit guys can say. I think that puts him in a list of only three uh, with those two achievements. Um, but yeah, you kind of touched on some top three generational there, and I think it's interesting you mentioned Vado in that three because uh, I think as that might be like an NL Central type deal, maybe you've seen Vado um, kill you more than ever or more than you know someone who, like in my case, doesn't play him as much as you do in the year, but another guy who I'm thinking of just kind of generational talent, first, first ballot hall of famer, Clayton Kershaw, who um, I toss in there. If we're talking, you know, players, you might've been. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. hundred percent. I agree. But um, he uh, also reached the achievement of most, most strikeouts in Dodgers history, which um, just ridiculous. I think maybe played a, a part in him returning to the Dodgers this past year. I'm sure he probably could have gotten more money elsewhere. I'm not going to act like I was in, a, in those conversations, but uh, a great achievement for him because that's obviously a storied franchise um, and something that solidified the Hall of Fame case that was complete, you know, a couple of years ago. So happy to see that for him, though. Yeah, I agree. Clayton Kershaw is probably one of my favorite players to watch mm -hmm. just because his delivery is so unique. And I mean, he's just trademark. You get at least six innings and probably no more than, you know, three runs every single outing. Uh, out of him it seems so he's a first ballot guy for sure and I always say I'll probably tell my kids 
and my grandkids that Clayton Kershaw was probably the best player that I ever saw um, mm-hmm. pitch in person uh, when I was a kid. So there's Kershaw. Um, but in terms of other pitchers, I'm trying to think. I mean, I don't know. Kershaw is right up there kind of by himself. Yeah, I think the only Scherzer. person who even comes close because of the MVP that they share would be Verlander. Kind of the Verlander and Scherzer. I think there's, Scherzer, yeah. there's kind of the big three there for sure. Yeah, Cy Young's are interesting too because with that type of talent, and there's so many, a lot of these INL arms too. You look at like historically, I feel like there's a lot of two-year runs, like when to come one back-to-back, but then injuries, career kind of faded out probably not going to be a hall of famer. Uh, he was on the ballot this year and I, I don't even know if he got enough votes to remain, but that's one of the guys I look back and like, he may be my favorite pitcher to watch, but he definitely wasn't an MVP type guy. He wasn't a hall of fame type guy. That's going to produce like that. Maybe not that two year peak that these guys all seem to have, but for the, you know, a 10 year portion. And that's what's really separates the guys like Scherzer, like you mentioned uh, Verlander. And it's interesting to see, we talked about DeGrom on the Mets, like, I really hope, and I'm knocking on wood here because the injuries so far, um, if he can't come back from that, then it may just be another two-year Cy Young and see what the rest of his career ends up. But no doubt the talent with DeGrom and the talent with these guys, it's up there with the Kershaw level. Um, Just got to see if it's sustainable. And, um, you know, for these guys like Kershaw to break the Dodgers record, it's got to be. And it was. Yeah. I mean, to have that amount of success and be near the top of the leaderboards and so many categories for a team like the Dodgers that has always had a very good pitching staff historically. That's definitely very impressive. I want to jump back to the Braves. We mentioned Ronald Acuna, uh, but we didn't mention the beef that kind of yeah. stirred up before Acuna came back between Acuna and Freddie Freeman. Uh, did you read too much into that or what did you think about that? Yeah. So from what I saw, it is an Instagram live where he was talking, talking some smack. And of course this is all through a translator. So I'll, I'll never know exactly what was said, but the translator comes out and says, this is what he said. He said that he kind of didn't connect with Freddie Freeman. He wasn't a guy he could go talk to. They weren't always on the same page. They didn't have like a brotherhood. Um, and I mean, these are two superstars on one team. And I feel like that's kind of sometimes the case where they don't always see eye to eye. Um, but it's never something that we knew about while they were still teammates. So if that is the case, kudos to them. Anyways, Acuna then comes out and says, I never said this. That's not what happened. But it's like, like, here's the video. Here's <laughs> like, here's the video of you saying this. So Freddie kind of dismissed it. Ronald dismissed it, even though he also brought it up. So it is interesting, but um, maybe it's just more of a test of like how the clubhouse goes and how you can kind of put those things aside. Um, you know, I hope it's not a, a mark on Acuna as he is. Like, I hope he's not like a, a kind of a dick of a player who's not going to be able to connect with his other teammates. I hope it's not like who Freddie Freeman really is. Cause I feel like he's like a media sweetheart, like a really nice guy seen by everybody. So, um, I guess there's three sides to every story, but I don't know. Very interesting to see. Very unexpected from those two specifically. Yeah. Three sides to every story is right. I mean, I think what Acuna was saying was, you know, Freeman always told him, okay, you need to do things a certain way. You know, you come up, you're the rookie. You don't wear your eye black like this. You know, you don't celebrate like this. And obviously that raises red flags because people are like, oh, is Freddie Freeman hazing guys? Is Freddie Freeman telling people not to have fun? Is Freddie Freeman one of these boomers who doesn't want anybody to do anything fun on a baseball field? 
But I mean, like you said, it didn't really come to the surface. Uh, I think there have been a lot of teammate on teammate conflicts that have bubbled to the surface. Uh, I think Bryce Harper and Jonathan Papelbon come to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Carlos Zambrano and Michael Barrett one year got into it in the Cubs dugout. Um, so stuff like that happens. Um, and more power to him for keeping it low key. I, I heard something very interesting about two members of the Cubs 2016 team that hate each other. Um, really? I don't think it's a story to be shared publicly, but I heard it from somebody who used to work with the Cubs um, that two members of the team then who are no longer with the team, and granted most of the team is, is not together anymore, who really just did not like each other. Um, really? Yeah, it's – it's interesting what uh what comes out after these things happen. Yeah, no, and it's not something that I feel like maybe we should be taking lightly because I, I can think of like Adam Eaton and um, pretty much any of his White Sox teammates that just go around how they didn't get along with each other. And if you don't have a clubhouse, it's how teams like that happen. It's like how you get veterans who are still producing, but a team that ends up turning into a rebuild. So um, I think like as the years goes on, as the years go on. Um, coaches, they're less um, inclined to call people out in front of the media. Teammates are less inclined to have something uh, like an argument boil over in front of the media or where people can see it. You don't see as many dugout brawls or scraps. You don't see as many comments made towards another player um, as you used to. And I think that's a lot of just learning from mistakes of the people prior that, you know, it's one thing to have the issues between yourselves, but it's another thing if you have the pressure from the media telling you that, you know, this is going to tear the team apart. And yeah, they won a World Series. So at the end of the day, uh, maybe this was what was best for the team for that to happen. And then for them to give it another shot with Acuna um, on the active roster this time. But um, yeah, makes you think kind of where else could this be happening? Um, But I'm going to, I don't know, I'm going to think about that Cubs fact for a little bit. I know there's a, a couple unhappy people in that clubhouse. I'm thinking, maybe a spousal issue, maybe something like that. That's yeah, a common yeah, thing with athletes. Yeah, it could, it could happen. <laughs> I think it, it based around the accusation that one guy uh, doesn't love the game as mm. much as some other people, yeah. um, which is honestly, I mean, from my perspective, I think the guys that the game comes easiest for are the people that, you know, maybe didn't expect to play baseball as a career and it just mm-hmm. kind of came naturally. And so they don't have to work as hard um, and they put less stress on themselves. So in a way it's a good thing. Maybe if you don't love the game so much, it was kind of like me with, with like golf. Um, I think when you play golf competitively for me, was in high school, you press so much and then you graduate and you just go out and, you know, play nine or 18 casually. And you're like, wow, where, where was this? Uh, for yeah. four years it's kind of like that um baseball is a strangely mental game and i think a lot of that stuff kind of comes into play yeah no absolutely a lot of things that can throw you off your game and just got to try to minimize those i suppose yeah i think um we'd be remiss if we didn't talk cubs and white Sox. yeah so what's what the, what the hell's what the hell's going on with with these two teams as they uh come together yeah, week. actually, we, we might just be like a few hours early on this conversation because we might be finding out some stuff tonight as the series starts. Um, yeah, Cubs have kind of 
I don't know. They've kind of had some highs and lows, I'd say, right now. They're sitting, both teams sitting with the same record. Both teams are 9-13, and 13, so um, but definitely two different stories because the Cubs, their offense at times has looked unbeatable, putting up 21 runs against Pittsburgh. You know, that was an insane game. Um, then you think about the asterisk that it was against Pittsburgh, but that's all right. Pittsburgh's not the worst team anymore, so that's all right. It's, a win is a win. Um, yes. But, yeah, overall, you know, I think maybe not as much of a, to see – not as much of a surprise to see the Cubs there uh, as it is to see the Sox there. Sox uh, opening week of games were um, best record in the AL at six and three, and then just forgot how to win for about two weeks. Uh, it was tough baseball to watch. Injuries haven't helped, but the team that we put out there um, is still better than what the record shows, even with the injuries, because we have people stepping up. We have you know some depth for these reasons, but um, yeah, it just hasn't gone the way that we're hoping. I think Liam Hendricks, Kind of two of those games, I'd say, were on him. Um, Tony Larusa, the lineups haven't been perfect, but I think early on in the year, nobody expects them to be. So we'll see. Um, we're getting players back now. Moncada's been on his rehab assignment. Uh, Joe Kelly's been on his rehab assignment. So hopefully those those guys will be back with the team soon. Um, Eloy's obviously out another two months, just oh, like he was last year. That was year. brutal. But, that yeah, was brutal, I mean, man it was kind of a relief to see that it was only that it wasn't season ending or it wasn't a major surgery. He did have surgery, but um, it was a relief to see that he'll be back on the field this year. Uh, I just hope maybe it won't be on the field, but just as a DH for the rest of his career, because even though this injury was running too on the base paths, it wasn't in the field or anything. It's just, um, you got to have that bat in the lineup. If you're making roster moves um, based around the fact that you're going to have Eloy and left and you're not going to go out and sign this position because you think you have Eloy playing there. Um, I think uh, the White Sox would be making a mistake to just assume that. So I expect them at this point, you know, it's still early on and we still have the opportunity to turn things around. But at this point, I still expect them to be big buyers because I think they realized that their kind of duct tape over the hole in the boat approach wasn't working and the sink's uh, starting, to, starting to sink. Yeah, it's it's not great. And I think the bullpen, like you mentioned, when Joe Kelly comes back, it'll start to figure itself out. Um and another thing to consider is it's it's April. It's kind of been yeah. freezing cold yeah. uh, in Chicago. That doesn't really help. Um, but also, everybody has to play in that weather. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's been something that I've really seen with minor leagues, too, is these guys really, really struggling to adjust to the cold weather, especially guys that haven't ever played in cold weather. Like with Beloit, they're the – northernmost Marlins affiliate. They're the only Marlins mm. affiliate not in the state of Florida. So you've got guys that played in Jupiter in low A last year and were in Jupiter for spring training. And then they come up to Beloit and we've had one 80-degree day in the first four weeks of the season. So it's like, yeah. oh boy, it's bad. Yeah, it's bad. Not necessarily a home field advantage either if half your team – yeah, that surprised me. I didn't even think about that. You know, the rest of the organization is all down in Florida, and then you just come up for a visit with Larry, and you're freezing cold, and it's a different ball game. And yeah, yeah. that must be tough. But it's nice yeah, that like the said, uh, I get to stay stay nice and warm. You know, keep those booth <laughs> windows closed for now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like you said, both teams play in the weather. The White Sox have gotten a little unlucky on X stats. They're expected, you know, batting average on base, slugging whatnot, but. Um, at the end of the day, got to put the ball where they aren't. And um, I think it'll start to even out. I think, you know, I don't know. 
at, at the very least, right now, both teams are in a position where they're worth watching. You want the White Sox to win every single game. You might be a little scared, so you got to watch and support them just to make sure, you know, they're still hanging in there because this is the team that's supposed to be competing. Um, and then for Cubs fans, um, maybe better than you thought it would be, maybe a little worse, but there's definitely still flashes. I mean, Seiya Suzuki, maybe the Dude. signing of the offseason so oh, man. far. I, I love watching his at-bats. It's like he just – the only strikeouts I've seen, honestly, are on pitches where the umpire missed a call. He'll walk back in the dugout, go down, and, and check the call because he knows it's a call. I mean, his approach, his discipline, uh, super happy for the Cubs getting him because, you know, he's an all-star level player so far. Yeah, I'm so thrilled with that. I think that and the Stroman signing were just enough to make the Cubs look like, like, oh, maybe we'll be in the mix this year. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> hey, 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 look, we're going to try and compete now, but only a little <laughs> bit. Don't tell anybody. Yeah, um, yeah the, the team with the highest ticket prices in baseball of the 15th highest payroll, I still think that's BS. Um Yikes. Because what if you go out and sign some more, say, a Suzuki's and Marcus Stroman's? Uh, you can always acquire people in free agency. Um, I, I think the Cubs are in a bad spot because if they start competing this year, I mean, they're, they're going to need pitching. They're going to need more pitching. They don't need more offense. They're going to need more pitching. They need Kyle Hendricks to pitch a little bit better, but they also need some more, you know, middle back end help in the rotation. And their farm system is already not very good. Um, so if they won, if they do compete, they're going to have to give away some of their already thinned out farm system. And two, if they don't compete, well, here we are. You know, here's a team that should be competing year in, year out, and they're not competing again. So, yeah, yeah, a bit of a gray, gray zone there because. I don't know what the direction the even the front office wants it to go. Do they want the Cubs to play better than they expected and have to shell out some money sooner than they expected? Or do they want the Cubs to not compete? Do they want, you know, a little break from the payroll or whatever it may end up being? Um, a little higher draft pick? I don't know if that would even um, mean as much to them in the decision-making process as saving money would. You know, I don't know if in this day and age uh, tanking for one – top 10 pick versus another top 10 pick means as much as spending this million amount on, you know, a free agent and maybe having to compete. So um, it's, it's interesting to see what route it ends up kind of concrete solidifying into, because I don't know what the team's uh, going to be this, this year. Is it going to be just like a 70 win team where they maybe could have at points um, tried to compete and push is the central going to be a division that's unwinnable between Milwaukee and uh, St. Louis. I don't know, um, but it could be. So we'll see. There's a lot of time left, but at the very least, you know, watch the game. We'll see what it is. You know, get an idea for yourself, I guess. As a fan, that's what you got to do. Yeah, I guess at, at least there's some kind of element of surprise, right? Like, oh, yeah. what are we going to get today? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. uh, you look at the Central <laughs> and there's, there's two teams who are blatantly not trying to compete, and then there's two teams who are trying to compete, and then there's the Cubs. Yeah. So it's kind of weird. Kind of, kind of yeah. strange. Where will that be at the, the end of the season? We'll see. Probably the same. Probably the same thing. Cubs in <laughs> yeah. third, St. Louis in second, Milwaukee uh, winning, and then losing the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, that actually might be exactly how the division ends right now. Like how it is right now might actually be exactly how it is at the end. Yeah, would uh, would not surprise me one bit. Um, before we go, 
I know there's one thing I want to talk about the pitch clock. Let me tell you, I want to pick your brain, dude. When this thing comes to the major leagues, it's going to be a game changer. It's going to be a game changer. Yeah. So you've got kind of a unique experience. Now, obviously with your role, you get to see this implemented every single game. You told me games are kind of flying by. What's it been like? Um, Yeah. Tell me like, what are your opinions? Cause is this like an MLB thing we should be ready for or what? Yeah. I think based on how successful the pitch clock has been in shortening games, I think everybody needs to kind of be ready to embrace this in major league baseball, because that's the number one result they're looking for and they're getting it. It works. So how it works is pitchers have 14 seconds when nobody's on base to deliver a pitch to start their motion. When there's a guy on base, they've got 18 seconds. Uh, Batters have a certain amount of time to get in the box in between outs or to start the inning. Um, And if they're not in the box in time, they get a strike called on them. If pitchers don't deliver a pitch in time, it's a ball. Um, It's interesting. There have been situations where I've seen a guy get struck out, even though we didn't see a strike three. He just got called out. That's happened once to the Sky Carp this year. And right now there's a clip going around Twitter talking about how this, under no circumstances, is this good for baseball. I, I tend to agree that it's not good for baseball in that sense. Uh, there need to be some slight changes, and maybe the pitch clock needs to be a little bit longer, maybe like 20 seconds for guys on base and 15 or 16 with nobody on. But – Beloit's average nine inning game time is two hours and 20 minutes. Wow. And we've seen three games that lasted two hours and three minutes or less. Hmm. So it goes by quick. It gives you a whole lot more time to sleep. That's for sure. You know, for somebody like me who works around the game and, you know, works late hours and weird hours around baseball schedule. So that's definitely advantageous. Um and honestly, like it, it provides a good pace to the game. I don't really like it as a broadcaster because I've got a lot less time to talk in between pitches, a lot less time mm-hmm. to tell a full story, but you don't get lulled to sleep like you used to. And I know I did last year in collegiate summer ball uh, in the Northwoods league. I mean, those games were horrendously long. Um, you know, sometimes you get up to four hours in a nine inning game. Nobody wants to sit through that. Um, but I think we kind of needed to find a sweet spot, uh, between three hours and two hours, um, two and a half hours, two hours and 45 minutes. If we can get nine inning games consistently about two and a half hours, I think we're in good shape. Yeah, no doubt. And I think, you know, you brought up a great point. It's working. It's doing exactly what the league's intending it to do. So I think, like you said, it's just a matter of time before it's going to be in the MLB. Um, but like you said, I think that's pretty quick. The strike threes, um, that's like, I mean, I don't want to say it's not going to fly because it's the league. Like they, they, they execute their actions. You know, they're going to call you out for it if that's what the rule is. But like, I can just imagine all the old heads in the game, the Josh Donaldsons who, you know, need their, their routine or they don't like being told no. Or um, I think back to the Kyle Seeger clip from early on in his career. I think it was Jared Weaver. So this must have been 10, 15 oh, years man. ago. But he's holding up his his stop to the, the home plate umpire. And Weaver's trying to get going, trying to get going, trying to mess with his timing. It's like, is there even a middle line here if, or a middle ground here if um, the pitcher is rushed, the bat is rushed, 
Sometimes it's negative to the pitcher. Nobody likes it really. Like, I think the quality of the game, I don't know if you've noticed anything. I don't know if like there's statistics to back up, like the offense remaining constant, if there's been a drop off in offense because the batters feel rushed or what. But um, I think it's going to have to be a little safer when it comes to the MLB, like having a, imagine a playoff strike three that was never even pitched. Um, I mean, every game counts. So it's just, I'm interested to see how it'll be uh, when it gets to this point. Yeah. Like you said, every game counts and that's kind of what people need to realize here. It's important in the minor leagues. You can afford to kind of tool with it a little bit and have this be kind of an experimental grounds. But once it's in the major leagues, you better get it right, man. Um, Yeah. I was talking with Beloit's manager today about the pitch clock and he said, I mean, overall, it's it provides a good pace to the game, but I mean, there needs to be some kind of subjectiveness. And that's the mm-hmm. thing with baseball. There's never been a clock and I don't really want the clock to be the end all be all of any sort of result, whether that's an out, whether that's a walk a strikeout, one ball, one strike, that's fine. Whatever it is, what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe there needs to be some, some sort of buffer zone, you know, a warning, um, uh, just uh, hey, let's get moving here, because at the end of the day, I don't. It's baseball. I don't think anything should be dictated by the clock. However, I think in today's day and age, it's very necessary if you want baseball to continue to make strides. Yeah, no, absolutely. It needs to be things to put in place to improve the viewer experience. And I think, like you said, I don't want to go watch a four-hour game. Mentioned I'm going to the Sox Cubs game tonight. If I sit through four hours of, of cold rain, it's going to be a lot worse of an experience if it was, say, just two and a half hours and take the rain and the cold out of the equation. That doesn't really change. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I guess, looking forward to the, the viewer aspect of it, being able to see a, a quicker game, being able to do more with my life. But if I'm going to sit down and watch a baseball game. I'm going to sit down and watch a baseball game. And if if I feel... And I'm not, you know, I feel like when I say this, I'm like laying down the law of the land. But if I feel like this is changing, like the quality of the game, and if this is like, wow, that at bat shouldn't have gone the way that it just did, um, I think it'll take that for me to say, like, okay, I don't like it. So I'm sure it'll be when I, you know, when I feel the White Sox got chipped out of a run or something. But um, I got to give it a chance because right now it's doing what the MLB wants it to do. And you know, shortening games is something we've talked about. It's it's kind of better for the league, so it's better for the game. So I can't really complain yet. Yeah, I will say going into the season, I was vehemently against the pitch clock, and now mm-hmm. I kind of like it um, yeah. in most cases. So it makes my life a little bit easier, so I don't mind it, and I think it'll, it'll transition its way to the bigs eventually in some form or another. So. There you go. And we'll be able to show our kids this video of us talking about it. Last time we mentioned baseball without having the pitch clock, you know, back in my day, we didn't have that pitch clock like basketball. Back in my day, our games lasted three and a half hours. The Beloit Sky Carp and (laughs) that was way back in my career. Lake Saloons. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's, that's wild. Well, I think, uh, I think we kind of touched on a lot of things that we missed. We we missed a lot. I, I will put that out there. Um, yeah. We're a little behind. Uh, still got some catching up to do, but we'll work on it. Yeah, if you feel like you lost some information, you know, go check out Around the Loop. We talked some Sox Cubs stuff in the offseason there. So 
definitely uh, more sports talk always to go around here with Pinewood. But Larry, I'm glad we got to sit down here, talk baseball for an hour, catch up on, you know, two teams we love and especially ahead of this series. You know, I'm excited. Yeah, should be should be some fun baseball to watch, uh, regardless of the records between the two teams. It's the old adage. It's the old corny altruism. When these two teams get together, records go out the window. So, yeah, it'll uh, it'll be interesting. I'll be following for sure. Look, yeah, looking forward to it. All right. Well, we're back. So hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatnot, because the Hit by Pod is back. Better than ever. I pride myself and think of myself as a a man of faith. As there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run. 